This past week at Road Trip Route 316, we had the privilege of traveling to five different locations and to learn important scriptural truths along with that. The first trip we went to on Monday was to the Grand Canyon. And it is aptly called the Grand Canyon because it is one of the largest canyons in the entire world. And indeed, it is right to be called the Grand Canyon. Now, depending on where you are within the canyon or along the side of it, you get different pictures of just how grand it is. But we're going to imagine looking at it from the place that most people do, from the place of the visitor centers of the North Rim and the South Rim visitor centers. At that point of the canyon, it is about a whole mile deep. And as the crow flies from one visitor center to the other, it is 10 miles across. Say that you wanted to go from one visitor center to the other, to cross that canyon. How would you go about doing so? Well, you could walk it by taking the hiking trail that is 20 plus miles, the rim to rim trail, but you better be in really good shape to do that two day hike before you set out on it. The way that perhaps you would do it is like most people where you drive along the edge of the canyon, go about four miles round trip all the way across. You go out east towards Route 89, head up north before you come back over to be essentially just 10 miles away from where you just were. But to cross that canyon takes you four hours and 200 miles to drive it in a car. The Grand Canyon is so grand that it is not easy to cross it by any means. In fact, it can be very difficult to bridge that distance. Now, whether or not you've actually been to the Grand Canyon, you're familiar with a Grand Canyon of a different kind. That is the canyon that is between us and God because of the sins that we have committed. We hear about just how grand this canyon is from the words of Isaiah chapter 59, but your iniquities have separated you from your God Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That is a grand canyon indeed. A canyon that we don't want to be there. A canyon that we wish we could cross so we could be with our Lord. And how we try to bridge that distance on our own. To do our best and to hope that it's going to be enough. To redefine what sin is so that it becomes easier to live what is considered a good life. Or to compare ourselves with other people so that we look pretty good by ourselves. But no matter how it is that we try to cross that canyon by ourselves, what we end up is in the same place. That is no better than if you were to take an Olympic track and field athlete to go from one, from the south rim, and to try to do a running long jump over the canyon to get to the north rim. And where you end up is falling far short and falling straight down to your certain doom. How is it that we can cross this canyon of sin to be with our Lord? Well, there's nothing that we can do. But God does, because it is God who saves As our children heard on Monday, it is in John 3, 16, we learn how that canyon is bridge of how we get to be with our Lord, where it says in these verses here, in these words here, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
because of God's unconditional love for sinners like you and me. He bridged that canyon by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we cannot. So he could die the substitutionary death that we need. He paid the price for our sins and has taken them away once and for all. That canyon has been bridged because he came to us so that we can be with him and he can bring us back to our Lord and to our God. Whenever you feel the weight of your sins bearing down on your shoulders, remember who it is that saves. It's not you. It's God who saves. When you consider the punishment that we deserve because of the wrongs that we have committed, remember what John 3.16 says. You will not perish in your sins, no. You will live eternal life. When you see that grand canyon between you and the Lord, remember how it is that God saves you. Sending his one and only son so that you can be with him now and forever. Amen. On October 28th, 1965, construction finished on the St. Louis Gateway Arch. And it was built to commemorate Thomas Jefferson's vision of St. Louis's role in the westward expansion of America in the 1800s. And it is quite an impressive building if you have not been to see it in person. The picture there in your worship folder gives an idea about it. And one of the things that makes it impressive is not just simply about what it was built to commemorate and remember, but also just the sheer size of it. As tall as it is wide, it measures 630 feet, 63 standard stories. As if its dimensions were not impressive enough, there's also a one-of-a-kind tram ride that can take you from the bottom all the way to the top, designed specifically for the constraints and the demands of a building like that, so it's not going to fall over or have any issues with people inside of it. It's quite an impressive building and is the tallest monument that we have in our entire country. Well, the St. Louis Arch was not the first building built that impresses people. As you look throughout history, you see that there is buildings of all different kinds that continue to astound us centuries after that they were first constructed. And every architectural style has its own poster child, the one they point to to show this is what this type of building looks like. But there's something even more impressive than buildings that stand the test of time that still take our breath away. And that's who our God is and the power he wields as the Lord himself. On Tuesday this past week, our children got to hear about how Jesus did a miracle, how he raised the daughter of Jairus back to life after she had truly passed away. There was no question that she was truly dead. And there was no question she had truly come back to life. It's in connection that display of God's power where the children learn the words of Mark chapter 10, how all things are possible with God because not even death can stop our Lord or be too much for him. Our God is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. It's easy to say that. It's another thing to actually believe it or to rely on that. 
When you have anxiety and anxious cares come upon you, do you act as if the Lord is all-powerful? Or do you perhaps dwell on those things that are outside of your control as you escalate the anxiety, it becomes worry and just consumes you, becomes something far worse? Instead of letting the Lord handle it on his timetable. Are you perhaps dealing with extra stress right now because of things that were not so used to happening all at one time? Like historic inflation that is affecting everybody's pocketbooks? Continue conflict overseas that is dampening our style here in the, in, in the United States? Or the polarizing opinions as we gear up for another election cycle? Do you perhaps wonder that these things are too much for the Lord to handle, which is why you personally are having a hard time with it? Don't think such things. That's because with God... All things are possible. You look back to what he has already done to see the power that he has. Look to this globe on which we live and the diverse and beautiful landscapes across the entire area. See the latest pictures from NASA's James Webb Telescope to look at never before, before seen pictures of the galaxy. And you know what you see? The artistic fingerprints of our Lord who created this entire universe in six 24-hour days by his word alone. What an impressive, what a powerful God that you and I have. Remember what Jesus did as he showed himself to be our Savior. Because he did a lot more than just raise one dead daughter back to life. And there's whole books all about it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read those books and you'll see that everything else that he has done with the power he has. Look at yourself and how the Lord has protected and provided and preserved you for all that you've gone through up until this moment. And see what a powerful, what an impressive God that you and I have. And just as he's done that before and up until this moment, so he will continue to do so for the time to come as well. Because with God, all things are possible. So when you have troubles and hardships come upon you, when your anxious concerns and worries begin to consume you, who do you go to for help? To the one who has the power to give you what you can never give yourself. To your Lord, with whom all things are possible. And we know that he will use that power for our eternal good according to his divine wisdom so that we may give him glory and praise. Amen. If you wanted to go on a dream vacation, what is it that you would put aside so you could put that vacation first? If you're a child whose dream vacation is go to a theme park filled with water rides and roller coasters like you see pictured in your worship folder, I'm guessing that there are a number of things that you would happily put aside to put that first a percentage of your monthly allowance so that you could buy whatever souvenirs you want. Time with your friends and doing fun stuff during the summer so you could go to that awesome place and to make memories that you hopefully will never forget. But say your destination, your dream vacation is of a different kind, something that requires you to, to make some lifestyle changes like getting into better shape or something like that so you can fully enjoy it. Would you be willing to put aside those unhealthy habits 
so you could fully enjoy what you've always wanted to do? I'm guessing you probably would, because that's how important it is to go on what you have been envisioning. What are you willing to put aside, though, so that you can put God first in everything? We hear this command given to us to put God first in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. To love God with all our heart, soul, and strength means to put Him first in everything at every time without any exceptions. And on this past Wednesday, the children learned of a certain rich man who struggled to do that very thing. You see, his heart, soul, and mind was set, first of all, on his wealth, on his material blessings. And when Jesus tried to point out to him what was needed to put God first, he told him to to sell all that he had and to give it to the poor. Because it's then that God would finally be put first. Yet that man was not happy to hear that news. No, instead, he went home that day very, very sad. Because his heart, soul, and mind put first the material blessings instead of the one who gave him those blessings, that is God himself. As a fellow sinner, like you, our question we ask ourselves is not, do I struggle to put God first? But rather our question is this, how often do I struggle to put God first? Because we have a lot of wonderful blessings that would love to be first ahead of our Lord. Like the rich man, we do have our own collection of wealth that we enjoy. And the comforts that money can buy that we would not want to give up easily. We have things like dream vacations and fun experiences that grab our attention, that become very important, that we devote so much else to so we can have that memorable experience. We have cherished friends and family that not always support or encourage us in our walk of faith in Jesus. And I'm guessing that if we were to keep a log of what we do in a given day by the hour, we may see how often we put God anywhere but first in just our regular life. You and I, we struggle to put God first. But that doesn't mean that all those material blessings that so often get in the way should just be discarded and thrown away. Because see, rather, it's instead of it being an either-or situation, it's more of a first-second situation. That all those material blessings that God gives to us, that they are second to the one who is first, to the one who has given us them all in the first place, that it is God who is put first. And he gets that first position because of how he put us first with everything that he did. It was us that God made the crown of his creation, created in his righteous and holy image, and no one else. It was for our sake that Jesus came to this world to to live, to suffer, to die and to rise, so that we may have forgiveness to wash away those sins when we don't put God first as we should. It's within us that the Holy Spirit has created and strengthened faith so we may grab onto and keep our tight hold on the promises of God and all that he has given us. He didn't do this for anybody else. No, it was 
for us, first and foremost. And everything else became second, third, and fourth, a matter of importance. In light of God who put us first in everything he did, how can we not put him first in our own lives as well? To love him with all our heart, soul, and might. And you know what? We have opportunity to do that with the blessings that God has given us. With our wealth and riches. With our fun experiences and cool destinations. With our friends, with our family, with our everyday life. To put God first just as he put us first. And everything he did. Amen. Why is it that you do what you do? That may sound like a very strange question to ask, but I found it very helpful to ask that question, help you get to the core of the issue, to the things that truly matter, so you can really talk about the real things. And you can ask this question about very serious matters, or even about very simple, small things, like why we continue to hold up the Statue of Liberty after it was been constructed back in 1885. Why do we still make such a big deal out of it? Well, there's a few reasons behind it. And if you know your history, you may know where I'm going with this. Statue of Liberty, it was a gift to us from the country of France, which shows the historic friendship that we have with the country and our shared democratic ideals, especially seen in our early, early country history in recognition of the abolition of slavery during the Civil War, there is a broken chain at the feet of Lady Liberty. And inscribed on a bronze plaque in the pedestal is the famous words of Emma Lazarus's poem, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. It's for all of these reasons that we continue to put forth the Statue of Liberty because in many ways it encapsulates the, the values we hold to as Americans of kindness, love, and freedom. And we're proudly to show it off. And in many ways you could even make the, 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 the connection that in some ways, the Statue of Liberty also encapsulates what our verse is all about for this devotion, to do everything in love, such as welcoming those coming to our country and are not in the greatest economic conditions normally, at least at the time. Why is it that we do what we do on a daily basis? You think to yourself, and what it is you do? Is it done in love? love for somebody or because of love of that person? There are some things we do that are certainly done in love. This past Wednesday, my wife and I celebrated our anniversary. And thank you for the anniversary wishes, by the way, everybody. And even though our schedules didn't allow us to celebrate on the day of itself, I did something a little bit special where I gave her some, some chocolates and flowers. And she wondered, why did I do this? And it was simply done in love. Not expecting anything from it in return, and she wasn't expecting it either. So I, I lucked out in that way there. And you can ask her to make sure my story is correct on that too. As I think back to this past week with everybody who helped put on our summer Bible camp, I got to see the volunteers and show their love for God and for sharing Jesus with children. 
that had them give up their time and to spend the gas money to come here during the week and to share God's word with all the kids who came to be with us. But not everything we do is done in love, though. When you sin against somebody and you need to apologize to them, do you do it with a spirit that wants to be reconciled to them, to be right with them again? Or is it like when you were a little child and your parents made you say, I'm sorry, it was anything but a loving heart that you said it with? Or when you do help your neighbor, is it done and simply to love them? Or is there perhaps a little bit that you're looking for to get out of it so that you feel good about something good that you have done? Or to perhaps start a chain reaction of pay-forward kindness that you one day get to benefit from yourself from in some way? You and I struggle to do everything in love. But there's one who never struggled. That's our Savior, Jesus. He is the one who has compassion on sinners, even though they have not and will never earn it. He's the one who forgives our every sins, even though we continue to add to them day after day to that stinking pile that sins truly are. He is the one who blesses us in so many wonderful ways that we can honestly say that I am better than I deserve. The one who sent his son so you could punish him on a cross so that you could be his child through faith. Why did God do all these things? Because of his love for you and me. He did everything in love. As we look at the love that Christ has shown us, how can we not also do everything in love, to love him in all that we think, say, and do with our heart, soul, and mind? And I realize in many ways that this sounds just like another version of what we just talked about. To put God first and to do so in love. But here's the difference. We don't simply put God first and do so out of blind obedience or with a reluctant heart, but with a loving motivation. Why do you put him first? Why do you do that? Because of your love for God. It's with that love for God deep in our heart as seen best through his son, Jesus Christ, and we get to show that love in everything that we do. To be kind to our neighbor and to help them in their bodily need in the way that we can simply because we love God and how can we not love those whom God has come to save and we want to be with us in heaven? But also to do more than to simply take care of bodily needs. But also share with them the most loving thing we could ever do. To share with them God's own word. So they can learn about the one who died for them. And all that he has done for them. So they may fully know all the promises that God has given to his children. And who better to speak of God's love than God himself. And the word of God itself. As we have God's love living within us, I pray that we also become shining examples of God's love in everything we do. And that we may be held up as examples of this love just as we hold up the Statue of Liberty today to be for those American values of kindness, love, and freedom that we strive to. Amen. Snow-capped peaks overlooking rugged terrain. 
trees that dot the landscape until the elevation gets too high for them to keep on growing. There's a certain allure that mountains have over us, especially if they're the world-famous Rocky Mountains that the whole world knows about. But even the mountains that we have here around here in Tucson are impressive in and of themselves, especially as you make the drive up to the top of Mount Lemmon, you can see how it changes by the each thousand foot elevation change. There's a certain allure that they have because of the wonderful views that they promise. And especially in these hot days, I'm guessing any one of us would love a trip to the mountains for the cooler weather, accompanied by the promise of majestic views. Yet there's a place that has an even better promise than cool mountains on a hot summer day. A place that we call heaven. Scripture speaks about heaven in a few different places. In the last chapters of Revelation, it describes heaven and compares it to a magnificent city. To precious metals, uh, precious stones and rare metals and to a luscious garden. Yet even with all those comparisons combined together, that doesn't even do it justice to the promised joy that we will find in heaven. But the best thing about heaven is not what it's going to look like, but rather what will be there that we do not have here. To be in complete communion with our Lord, to be with Him without any separation of any kind, and to have no consequence of sin in any way because sin will be no more. That's the promise that heaven is going to be for us. Do you want heaven to be your promised home? If so, well, don't look to yourself. Look to God. Look to the one who promises it to you through your faith in Jesus. As he says to us in Luke chapter 10, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And take note what it says here. It doesn't say that your names will eventually maybe be written in heaven. Nor does it say that your names are perhaps, we'll find out, written in heaven. That your names are written in heaven. A sure promise that is already as good as done, given by the one who has the power to make promises in any way possible, that is our Lord and Savior himself promise that he gives to you. This promise of heaven that is far better than any mountain retreat ever could be is right in line with everything else that we've heard about our Savior Jesus on this road trip, Route 316. Of how it is God alone who saves us by bridging that Grand Canyon so that we may be with him for all eternity. How is God's almighty power that can do all things because all things are possible with him, such as taking our sins away and making it so that we are holy and perfect in His sight. God, who put us first in everything He did, and even His own welfare was put second, third, and fourth afterwards, who did everything in love for us because that's just who He is. And He can't help but to love us. And then on top of all that, we have this. This promise of heaven and what all that's going to be, well, that's like the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae. You can't get any better than that. And what can we do in light of all these wonderful promises of God? There's only one thing. 
to rejoice. To rejoice that our names are written in heaven along with every other promise that is ours. And just as the children rejoice this past week at Road Trip Route 316 to hear about who their Lord is and to see little snippets of wonderful destinations across our country, so do we rejoice. To rejoice in all that our Lord has promised to be ours because of who he is and what he has done. May we always rejoice in our Savior and to see this road trip all the way through till we see heaven with our very own eyes. Amen.